just put one thing on his mind. universe what is up it's your boy jake the snake robinson from the let's talk baseball podcast network holler if you hear me half man half podcast machine back in the captain kirk chair shields down photons up 20 degrees port full throttle prepare to engage on this week's digital audio show that i call backwards k pod where we collect ball players and their stories. Backwards K Pod is available on all major podcast platforms or wherever you listen to your pods. If you're on Apple or Spotify, uh, Spotify, please remember to rate and review me as you see fit. I ain't skirt. I prefer to keep this Don Money uh, dope ass content free. That means no Patreon, no crowdsourcing. I'm never going to send my audience a bill for this content like I see other dudes do. I can't even find generic cream cheese in the grocery store these days. And I'm going to Patreon you guys? I don't think so. That just doesn't sit right with me. So, look, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and do this the old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way. Uh, every week, I'm going to bring you that smoke, uh, free smoke in your hood. You can't miss me. 
I'm the dude in the hot pink hummer riding on dubs. I'm going to hand out that fire. And all you got to do is listen, download, share. Spread the good word about the good brother Jake the Snake. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. And like I said, you know, I'm on all major platforms. But I'm also on many social sites. And you can find the show at uh, on Twitter at backwards underscore K underscore, K underscore podcast. And I've now begun to transfer audio files of Backwards K-Pod to the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network YouTube page. And I have additional content there, such as my one-on-one interview with guys like Bill Spaceman Lee, Bob Kendrick from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and, and so much more. And that's the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network YouTube page. And of course, I have a vault of Backwards K-Pod shows on my website. You can check that out. That's Diamond Snake Jake. Dot .podbean.com Now, before I break into this week's show, I want to send a shout out to a couple people. First of all, I want to welcome back TJ Gordon, my right-hand man. That's right, I call him the head because, you know, we come together like Voltron and that dude is the head for sure. He's come back into the fold with me. Uh, we've had a great relationship through the years. You know, a lot of my core audience know about that. And uh, he's been doing a lot of production work behind the scenes with me now. And I am so grateful to have you back, man. It has been too long, brother. I'm so glad to have you back. And I also want to send out a, a shout-out to uh, Sean in Arlington, Virginia. Sent me a message this week. He's a Yankees fan originally from New Jersey. And he writes here, I, I did some binging this week on your show. I love this week in baseball. As a younger generation Yankees fan, I always knew Mel Allen was the voice of the Yankees, but I never knew the backstory of him getting the shaft like that. I also listened to uh, Moses Fleetwood Walker show and the Met Mutt and Jeff Bandits. And you're killing it, Snake. I used to listen to your old shows, the ones you used to do, and I love them. But this show is on a whole other level. Best work you've ever done. I wanted you to know that. Thank you, Jake. And, hey, thank you, Sean, for the really sweet words. I really do appreciate my loyal audience, and I really do appreciate you. The audience is, you know, why I do what I do, and I do what I do, what I do, and I do it better than anyone else. Facts. So, like I told you last week here, I have covered over 160 years of baseball in just four months on the air. From Moses Fleetwood Walker all the way up to Shohei Otani. And now, I'm working on all these things. Uh, in between, you know, I'm working on all the things in between those bookends. And I feel like I'm, I've had a wide range of topics here. I've done biographies like Clemente, Steinbrenner, Nolan Ryan. I've done Scandal, the Pittsburgh Drug Trials, Matt and, Matt and Jeff, Jeff Bandits. I've covered baseball and pop culture, baseball in other countries, stadiums. Well, this week I'm going to try something a little different. I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone a little and try something that I've actually never done before. So, this is either going to be great, or it's going to be a total cluster F. It's going to be a disaster. And I've been ner nervous about doing this all week, to be honest. But, you know, that's personally, that's the best thing about doing the show for me. It's made me confront some of my inner fears in life. So now I'm going to walk that tightrope to the edge of the cliff. And I'm going to jump in, folks. This week, I will be doing what I hope is the first of many of these. This week, I will be reviewing 
the classic baseball movie, The Sandlot. So, look, spoiler alert. I guess I'm supposed to say that, but really, what baseball fan over 13 hasn't seen this movie? But I think I'm supposed to say spoiler alert. Just in case a couple of you seamen somehow haven't seen this. So, grab your old school PF Flyers tennis shoes. And uh, here, have a piece of Bazooka Joe gum, and let's talk about The Sandlot this week. Now, The Sandlot is the 1993 American sports comedy movie written and directed by David Mickey Evans with Robert Gunter helping on the screenplay. David Mickey Evans wrote the story after thinking about his childhood when his brother was actually bit by a dog named Hercules after trying to retrieve a baseball. And it's a baseball story seen through the eyes of Scotty Smalls as he narrates about him and his childhood friends and their coming-of-age summer of 1962. The movie is actually narrated by the writer, David Mickey Evans. So, the movie follows the adventures of the baseball, loving boys, and their ragtag team on the sandlot, a makeshift makeshift baseball field, Set in the L.A. suburbs, the movie was actually filmed in the suburbs of Salt Lake City, Utah, though. The new kid in town, Scotty Smalls, he's your typical, awkward, 13-year-old boy. He's played by Tom Geary, um, struggling desperately to make friends. He is shy, horrifically uncoordinated, and he has zero knowledge about baseball or probably sports in general. And his mother, played by Karen Allen, has recently remarried. And Scotty has been struggling, not only in his new environment, but also connecting with his new stepdad, Bill, who's played by Dennis Leary. And he will eventually uh, befriend the best player of the gang, Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez. He's played by Mike Vitar. And after a rough start, the kids accept Smalls and all of his foibles. And they make him the ninth player. As the movie progresses, the boy learn about uh, s'mores, kissing a girl, friendship, baseball. And they're also forced to match wits with the presumed villain, the Beast. A uh, vicious, genetically altered attack dog who at at one time was imprisoned for killing over 170 kids who were trying to steal lost baseballs from the junkyard where the uh, Jurassic-sized bull mastiff lived. And eventually, Benny Rodriguez would become a neighborhood legend by uh, pickling the beast out of a priceless baseball signed by some girl named Baby Ruth that Smalls lost in the junkyard after he hits his first homer. The movie had a $7 million budget. It earned $4 million on its opening weekend. It grossed over $34 million at the box office, and it has gone on to make an estimated $76 million in VHS and DVD sales. Uh, don't really have a figure on what they've made, you know, in the on the audio uh, digital platform. I'm sure they've made a lot of money there, too, as well. Okay, so now that I gave you the backstory of the movie, I'm going to begin my review. Now... 
I'm going to take you through every scene. I'm not going to take you through every scene of the movie, but I'll break you off like these major plot lines, and I'll take you through the three acts. And hopefully I'll give you some nuggets of info you may not have known before. And if you have a copy of the flick, maybe you want to push pause right here, bring it up on your other device, and we can kind of go through this together while you see it in the background and listen to my voice. Now, in the very first scene, we see an, an adult, Scotty Smalls, entering Dodger Stadium. The opening credits are being splashed across the screen. And it's important to note that the movie was not originally supposed to be entitled The Sandlot. The script that had floated around Hollywood was actually titled The Boys of Summer. And there's already a book with that title, so after much thought, they changed the name to Sandlot, which... To me, it works because I, I feel as though the actual Sandlot becomes a character of its own in this movie. So, I have nothing against the title that they came up with, but it did make me try to imagine uh, what would have been the title I might have come up with if I were in that meeting. And taking the Sandlot off the table and out of the equation. And my suggestion would probably have been Pickle, which may sound odd at first, to name a new a movie, but really the film holds a consistent theme about the game of pickle, as I will, will reveal this throughout. But most of you listening to this understand the concept of pickle, or as some regions may call it, rundowns. So I don't feel like I really need to explain the concept of pickle, but it is a huge part of this movie. So right off the rip. I love the narration of David Mickey Evans. He starts all talking about the legendary Babe Ruth called shot in the 1932 World Series. And he uses that to set up how Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez would become their neighborhood legend during the summer of 1962. In that first real action sequence, we see uh, Benny and his PF Flyers uh, get crazy launch angled. Some Sandlot rag-armed kid. And as he's rounding third base for an inside-the-park home run, he gets caught up in a pickle between third and home. And the camera work is great as it goes into the slow motion for the scene, and it zeroes in on Benny's shoes and the reaction of his teammates. And finally, Benny beats the pickle in his flyers, and the team celebrates. An outstanding work on that first action scene. You really feel the nostalgia, and for me... I immediately went back in my mind to my childhood. And I got to admit, also, those kids, they did a great job of pulling that scene off. They made it look competitive, and they gave the camera uh, operators exactly what they needed to make that scene work. And the narrator begins to tell of that summer, the same year, that Murray Wills broke the Major League Baseball stolen base record, which is important to remember at the end. This movie is really good at tying things up. He explains how horrific, horrifically awkward, unathletic, antisocial he was as a kid, all made worse by moving into the valley and not knowing anyone who lives there. And also, he has this really uneasy relationship to his new stepfather, who's played by Dennis Leary. Now, I want to be clear, I'm a huge Dennis Leary fan, but I feel like he was a little wrong for this spot, especially when, you know where he was in his career at that time. Leary was one of the preeminent insult comics of the 80s and 90s. I mean, this is, after all, the guy who wrote the self-motivation book Shut the Fuck Up by Dr. Dennis Leary. So, honestly, I kept waiting for Leary to, like, lose, his, lose it on this kid. 
in the beginning. Uh, seeing him so patient with Scotty and kind of belied his facial expressions, I'm sure he did what he, the script gave to him to work with. And he did it well. It, I, I just didn't think he fit in that role. I also felt like the script was a little wonky right there, too, as it gave this impression that Bill cared more about his Babe Ruth baseball than his stepson. Uh, the dynamics between Bill and Scotty are really cringy. And it was a really great job by the two for establishing this relationship, but it's a little shaky on the screenwriting there. Now, we learned Scotty followed the gang of boys he saw around town, and he noticed they went to the sandlot to play baseball every day. And again, boom, great costumes, great baseball shots of the boys taking infield drills, and these kids are fantastic and believable. They're not a bunch of all-stars. They're just a bunch of normal kids like those in the audience, and and with along with Betty, who who's amazing. So I think it works out great. And at the behest of Betty, they invited Smalls to play, and it doesn't really end well. Uh, Betty was played by former actor Mike Vitar, who only made a few appearances on film after the Sandlot. Uh, Sandlot. Some of you may, may remember him as Luis Mendoza in the Mighty Duck sequel, and a 1997 guest shot on the hospital drama Chicago Hope. He did in real life become a Los Angeles firefighter in 2002, and he actually saved two other firefighters in 2003 during a house fire in Hollywood Hills. And I love Vitar right here in this role. And I love the the Benny Rodriguez story arc. He, He doesn't let his amazing skill as a baseball player define who he is. He's layered in like thoughtfulness and compassion that we see throughout the movie. He gives Smalls a better glove. He gives him fashion advice, burn his clothes. And he gives him a new hat. He gives Smalls a chance to catch the ball without being embarrassed. He saves the life of the perceived villain in the end. He truly is the big brother mentor of the story. I also love that in that very first Sandlot scene, a rule is established. The field is awesome, but it's also impractical because there is something dangerous behind that left field wall. Something alive and something terrifying. So hitting a home run is awesome when you're a cement freak at the age of 13, 14, and you drop dong. I mean, fellas, tell me, that's like the greatest feeling you will ever have in the world until you learn about sex. Am I lying? You know I'm 100 on that. So, hitting a home run the left field, on this field, it has consequences. As great as that feeling was, dropping dong, the ball is now lost forever, and you can't play anymore until you come up with enough cash for a new ball. It, it, it is like this cruel dichotomy of rules there. And a classic scene follows that one. Uh, Smalls, who was embarrassed in front of the kid... Uh, He gets a little push from his mother, and he asks his stepdad, Bill, to teach him how to play catch. And again, Larry looks like he literally wants to throw a hammer at Scotty. Uh, He can't catch, he can't throw, and (laughs) he just doesn't fit this guy. Because, like, in real life, you know Dennis Larry wants to kill that kid. And eventually... The game is called when Scotty gets drilled in the left eye. And you see the, in the next scene, uh, Bill slap a cold steak on Scotty's face to help from the swelling. 
And honestly, that was the most leery thing he did in the movie, and it was fantastic. Now, the mother, played by Karen Allen, was an awesome mom. The, the kind of mom all boys want to have, right? Most of you remember her as Katie from the Frat Comedy movie Animal House in 1978. She also played Melanie Ravenwood in 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark, and she would reprise that role in 2008 with Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. I would have liked to see more of her. She was warm. She wanted her son to assert himself and assimilate to his new life full of young promise and possibilities. And finally, we meet the group of boys from Ham Porter, the Portler, Portly Catcher, who... Honestly, still scene after scene after scene throughout this movie. He was literally the last boy casted, and of all of them, he was probably the gem. The production staff quickly realized what they had in, it, in an actor like Patrick Renner, and they let him improvise many of his lines, including when you see him talking trash in the batter's box and the big insult scene that comes later. All of that was improvised. He has since gone on to give performances in, uh, let's see here, 1993 film Son-in-Law with Pauly Shore, <laughs> as well as the uh, 2003's National Lampoon Dorm Days. Oh, and check this out. In, in 2018, he was in the Netflix original Glow, as well as some of his other works, but that's pretty amazing. Yeah, he was in that, and I, I it never even connected with me. He's like this crazy super fan that loves women's wrestling. So it's kind of funny that he goes from being the guy saying, you play like a girl, to this rabid female wrestling fan. That's pretty funny. I, I just now noticed that. Uh, Chauncey Leopardi. As Michael Squid's Peladorus, the nerdy pervert of the crew. And, of course, he's my personal, personal favorite next to Benny. He has gone on to appear in Boy Meets World and Gilmer Girls, as well as the Sandlot sequels. Marty York, he played uh, Yeah Yeah McLennan. He was known for starting each of his sentences with Yeah Yeah. The movie was the highlight of his career. He did some spots on Boy Meets World, Hey Arnold, and he had some run-ins with the law in 2009, and since then he's kept a relatively low profile. Brandon Quinton Adams uh, as the pitcher Kenny Nunez in his heater pitch. First off, I love that they had a black kid. One more would have been really, really cool. But okay, we got our one. He's rocking that classic monarch leg. So I imagine him as like this satchel page kind of fan. Uh, we don't really learn much about him until the end when Smalls tells the audience whatever happened to all these kids. But an interesting thing about Brandon, he was the kid who danced opposite of Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal video. And folks... I'm going to tell you, that Smooth Criminal video was groundbreaking when it came out. He he would go on to do shots in the uh, French, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Sister Sister, as well as D2 Mighty Ducks. But uh, I would highly recommend that if you've never seen that Michael Jackson Smooth Criminal, you should put it on there and watch that kid blow it up on the dance floor. It's amazing. I never knew that that was the same kid. 
Amazing. Greg Gelt as Bertram Grover Weeks. Again, we don't get to know much about his character until the end of the flick. Much like Yeah Yeah and the Twins, we do find out in the end that it gets real wrapped up in the 60s hippie movement, and the boys never see him again. And it kind of figures, right, that he would be the one to turn the kids on the tobacco. It kind of fits. Uh, Grant began his acting career as a voiceover for Franklin in the miniseries This Is America, Charlie Brown, in 1998. Now, one of the most classic and certainly memorable scene in the movie is the infamous pool scene, which has been set up by Squints fawning over the beautiful Wendy Pfeffercorn when he spots her wearing this pastel green sundress that looks amazing on him. It fits her quite well, I must add. And then we see her in a red bathing suit at the pool, and Squints has had enough as he nearly drowns to kiss her while she performs CPR on him. And it is a must-see Hollywood moment. Oiling and lotioning. I can't take it anymore! Because if any one of them had come up to any one of us, we'd have just peed our pants. We all went because, well, because Wendy Peppercorn was the lifeguard. Moment. 
to this day. I think it's a magnificent scene. I love the way the kids are reacting when they see him laid out before them on the on the uh, on the deck and uh they're like, "Oh man, he looks like crap. He looks like a dead fish." I mean, the whole the whole thing is just so silly and he kisses her and it was his first kiss ever and I'm sure most of us Boys that played baseball growing up, the two things, you know, most of us loved was girls and baseball. And, you know, you always remember that first kiss. And that's just a great, great scene. Now, sometimes after the 4th of July, the Sandlot is invaded by the snobbish Tigers baseball team as the two sides begin hurling insults at each other. And... For the most part, like I told you, the producers let the kids improvise their insults to uh, make them more kid-like. And the argument ends when Ham tells a kid he plays like a girl. And it's one of the few lines I never liked. It's not that I don't really like the line. The line is fine. I don't feel like that should have been the thing that, whoa, that like stopped the whole argument, right? Because I would tell you, when I was a kid... The girls played, too, with us. I mean, you know, Joanne, Sandy, Kim, Crystal Kelly, all those girls could hang with us when we were kids. And there was never a stigma with girls playing in my hood. <laughs> Bro, my opposite can straight fucking rake. So, for me, that comment was kind of out of place. And it's even more cringy today. But the boys do end up wearing the Tigers out.
and again, it's not that I I don't like that scene because I do actually like that scene. It's, it brings back an air of nostalgia when you know other kids will come into your hood and and uh, you know try to challenge you at a sport or whatever. It happened many times when I was growing up, so I do like the concept of that. I just didn't like that you play like a girl was the one thing that like whoa that's like way too much. Like I think they could have more cleverly written that out right there. Um, another classic scene that I'm not crazy about was the tobacco puke scene at the fair. Uh, number one, it's almost an hour in, and we still really have no major plot line to the story yet. Uh, we've just had like a bunch of these little misadventures along the way, and uh, we're still kind of in the first act with you know within that first hour. Secondly, this came out shortly after Stand By Me that had a puke scene at a fair. And I think if you wanted more of a misadventure out of the boys, I would have rather rather seen them together at a Dodgers game or something more baseball-related for the boys to rally around or even like a fishing trip or something. I just didn't feel like that fair fit there, them chewing tobacco and throwing up on everybody. It felt too much Stand By Me-ish. Um, so we transition from second to third act when Bill leaves for a business trip in Chicago. And he tells Scotty he's the man of the house. And then that goes into the omen chapter of the movie. Uh, Benny hits a ball so hard that he busts the guts out of it. And while they're all standing around it, they're like, oh, man, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And Rodriguez is like, no, man, that sucks. Now we can't play anymore. We don't have any more balls. And Scotty says, well, I got a ball. And they're like, well, what are you doing here? Go home and get the ball. So he goes home, and he takes Bill's Babe Ruth autographed baseball. And when he comes back, the kids are so happy. Rodriguez says to him, well, it's your ball, and you get, your first, you get the first at bats. So Scotty... Steps in the box, and he hits his first home run ever. Over the wall, and unfortunately, into the beast's junkyard. From here, we finally get to our major plot line, and that is the challenge of getting that ball back. And the boys try various ways of getting the ball back, and they all prove to be fruitless and funny. And for me, it felt like kind of like... Uh, the Goonies of the 90s kind of thing, with all the cockamamie schemes to retrieve the ball and the boys' terrifying screams of failure after each one. Uh, let's see. They had a try with vacuum cleaners, right? Which I was, that kind of tripped me out because they look like uh, Electroluxes. They look like pretty good vacuum cleaners. And I'm going to tell you right now, my mother ain't letting me take that vacuum cleaner out there to try to get the ball out of the beast, out of the beast yard. Uh, and then all those vacuum cleaners blew up. Well, you know, I don't know how much that ball is worth, but three Electroluxes back in the 60s, that's pretty expensive. They, they went through some money right there on that scene. Uh, the second try, they went airborne. And that was funny, too, where they dropped Yeah Yeah uh, in this kind of rope contraption hanging from the treehouse. And he's got a baseball catcher's chest protector hood, and he comes face-to-face with the dog, and hilarity ensues. That was really great. And finally, it was Science versus Beast. And I thought that was my favorite one, where they create this little contraption with the erector set, squint staring through the knot hole with this little uh, cockamamie uh, telescope thing he's got there. And, uh, of course... Uh, the beast just totally destroys 
that erector set. So finally, after uh, after all that, each of them have a dream, which I felt was kind of interesting. Uh, Smalls had a dream that a Babe Ruth baseball fell out of the sky, hit him in the head, and completely drove him into the ground like a spike. Meanwhile, Benny had a dream of a different sort. He had a dream, and he talked to Babe Ruth. And Babe Ruth basically told him what he had to do to take his game to the next level. So, Benny wakes up. He's going to pickle the beast, and he's going to get that ball back. And what ensues next is one of the greatest chase scenes in history. Now, there is some creative license involved here because I don't know if any of you have ever had a uh, bull mastiff, but those dogs, <laughs> they're not con- conditioned to run out miles and miles and miles and chase a dude. Most of those bull mastiffs, and they don't catch it within the first 20 feet. They, they ain't running no further. So I thought it was really cool that they got this dog to just run and run and run. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, so he decides he's going to pick up the beast and they get into this, this chase here. The dog winds up in a precarious position after the chase and Benny and Scotty save the dog's life. Uh, it is here that it's finally revealed that while Scotty is the protagonist of the story, Benny is the classic hero of the neighborhood and he will be forever known after that day as the Jet. The boys wind up meeting the beast owner and find out the dog's name is actually Hercules. Mr. Myrtle is played by James Earl Jones, and he is the powerful figure that you needed to tie this character up. First of all, he's done plenty of baseball movies, Field of Dreams, this movie. He also did the Bingo Long movie and the Traveling All-Stars in the 1970s. So... Uh, first of all, you know James Earl Jones loves the game of baseball, and he's going to be invested in playing his part, and he was invested in playing his part. He plays an old blind guy who uh, somehow took a baseball up in the head, and it knocked his vision out when he was younger. And he tells the boys that he knew George. And I did find it interesting that he called him George twice. Not the babe, he called him George. This signifies that, you know, he and Ruth have a special relationship. And he also claims that the only better hitter than George himself was himself. I also found it interesting that the boy's reasoning for Mr. Myrtle not playing Major League Baseball was because of his blindness. But the audience knows it's because of his race. It's simply implied. And it shows us how an innocent kid looks at things. Mr. Myrtle gives Smalls another baseball that is signed by the, well, all of the 1927 New York Yankees, the murderer's row, including good old George, the Sultan of Swat, the Colossus of Crash, the great Bambino. Almost 30 years later, the movie still holds up. It makes a great family movie. And it's a great introduction to any kid that enjoys baseball. The movie holds on to the themes like Pickle, while it is booking with Smalls in the beginning at Dodger Stadium and in the end he's at Dodger Stadium. And if you remember, this all started the year 
when Murray Wills broke the stolen base record. Well, the very last scene you see is Benny the Jet stealing home for the Dodgers with the real Murray Wills coaching him at third base. It's also important to note that Mike Vitor's older brother, Benny, Uh, no, I'm sorry, his older brother played him as Benny the Jet for the Dodgers. And uh, that's it. It's just, it, it really holds to this day. Uh, I think it's a great baseball movie. It's definitely one that, uh, it's good for the whole family. The whole family can sit down and enjoy this together. For those guys over the years, and I found out that Yaya's parents shipped him off to military school. After the army, he became one of the pioneering developers of bungee jumping. Of course, we all know why. Bertram, well, Bertram got really into the 60s, and no one ever saw him again. Timmy and Tommy became an architect and a contractor. They started out small, designing playground equipment and prefabricated tree houses. But they became multi-millionaires when they invented mini-malls. Squints grew up and married Wendy Peppercorn. They have nine kids. They bought Vincent's Drugstore and they still own it to this day. Hamilton Porter became a professional wrestler. You know him as the Great Hambino. DeNunez played AAA ball, but he never got to the major. He owns his own business now and he coaches a little league team that his sons play on, called the Heaters. Hercules lived to be 199 years old, uh, in doggy years. I was the last one to move away. But when I did, the Sandlot was still there. After Benny pickled the beast, his reputation spread all over town. From then on, he was known as Benny the Jet Rodriguez. And the nicknames... And I'm going to give you a couple of behind-the-scenes facts before we get out of here. I strongly recommend this movie to you. I think it is one of the greatest baseball movies ever made. Um, the set of the movie was unbearably hot. At one point, Tom Geary, a.k.a. Scotty Smalls, he fainted due to heat exhaustion at one point during the filming. Uh, ironically, the pool scene was scheduled and shot on the coldest day of production. Uh, it was an overcast day, and the water was 56 degrees. If you look at Squints in that scene, his teeth are actually chattering because he's so cold. The actor who played Squints was anxious for his kissing scene, and every day of the shooting, he would ask the directors, is today the day? Is today the day? Is today the day? Uh, he was given specific instructions that when the day finally came to keep his tongue in his mouth. <laughs> uh, Wendy was actually based on a real person from Davy Mickey Evans' childhood. Uh, lifeguard he had a crush on back then that wore a red bathing suit, and her name was Bunny. The tree, the Timmons treehouse, it was real. But the tree was dying, and it had no foliage. So the art department made branches and leaves out of thin bamboo and leaves. And every piece of foliage that you see on that tree is man-made. It only took 42 days to shoot the film. Uh, that's pretty amazing when you consider all the moving parts and having kids involved. And they had it wrapped up in six weeks. Six weeks. This movie was predestined to be a hit. The real squints, 
he sued 20th Century Fox because he didn't like his portrayal, and he sued for invasion of privacy and exploitation of his likeness. The case was dismissed two years later. The Chaw and the uh, famous fair scene, it was not real. It was actually black licorice and bacon bits. The vomit, of course, was fake as well. Split pea, soup, baked beans, oatmeal, water, and gelatin was the recipe for the Sandlot vomit. The Beast was played by two English Mastiffs, and they also had a puppet that required multiple people to operate. After the infamous chase scene and Benny and Scotty saving Hercules, the once villainous dog, he gives all the baseball back, and then he kisses Small's face in, a, Small's face in appreciation. In order to get that dog to lick his face, they uh, they rubbed a bunch of Gerber's baby food on uh, Tom Geary's face. The boys were crazily uh, excited about meeting George Earl Jones, as many of the boys were Star Wars fans. And they once snuck into a rated R movie while on the set. Oh yeah, and one more thing I, 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 before I wrap this beast up. Uh, speaking about nuts, in, in that chase scene, a, a lot of full frontal nudity by Hercules, the dog, in that scene. I'm just saying, that could have been cleaned up a little. A lot of cock and balls when he's jumping through windows and over tables. So, like I said, uh, the movie still holds. I know that some guys give a thumbs up and thumbs down to their movies. Well, here backwards, okay, uh, I like to give uh, a slash. So, uh, here backwards, okay, I'm going to give Sandlot a slash of 297-364-519 and a 128 OPS plus. And that is Hall of Fame status, baby, all day. Great movie. I hope you enjoyed today's show. That was fun. Maybe I'll do some more of these. I, I kind of... Look, I had fun doing this. I, I think it's pretty cool, but I also think this might be like a two-man thing. Uh, some Something that you need another person to bounce ideas off. I'm always looking to try to, you know, make things happen and try to push boundaries the best that I can. So, we'll see how this works out, and maybe we'll do it again. Uh, like I said, uh, don't forget to follow, subscribe, spread the word, all that good stuff. You can find me a lot on Facebook at the most comprehensive house of baseball banter. The private group page, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. Next week, I'm going to be talking the friendly confines. That's right, Cubs fans. It's your turn. We're going to be learning about the history of Wrigley Field. And Chicago has always been a great supporter of mine through the years. And I can't wait to dig into Wrigley and give this back to you. But hey. That's another story for another pod. Parents, if you see your kid sitting on the couch looking bored, by all means, take him or or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank you all for coming out. God bless and win the day.